This podcast and the following message are brought to you by SmartPixel. Turn your website's anonymous visitors into engaged customers. SmartPixel turns your anonymous website visitors into fully identified first-party consumer data. When this match and identification takes place, SmartPixel can return up to 300 attributes on the consumer. You get name, postal address, email, gender, and date of birth, plus more specific details like home ownership, vehicle ownership, political party affiliation, presence of children in the household, and many more. SmartPixel, real-time information about your website visitors, easy to install, and fully GDPR and CCPA compliant. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash smartpixel. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash S-M-A-R-T-P-I-X-L. And thank you. In the public transit industry, that's actually, I think, you know, I'm a former CEO of the transit system in Baltimore um, mm-hmm. and, and did a bunch of work in Washington, D.C. as well. And I can tell you that one of the great things that's happened uh, in the public transit industry over the last five years is just what you're talking about, a movement to more cooperation with the private sector. So Uber and Lyft came in, you know, at the beginning of this uh, decade and really disrupted ridership, right? Because uh, what they call the choice riders, people that can afford to do other things than ride public public transit said, hey, I'm not going to stand here and wait for 40 minutes in the rain for this bus. I'm just going to call her. So we saw a big rush of people go out of this, out of the traditional ridership. And, you know, I can tell you at the time I was in there in 2015, 16, everybody's freaking out saying, what are we going to do? You know, ridership's declining. And it's been, and, uh, and so really there was a guy named Nat Ford uh, who runs Jacksonville's transit system, who was head of our national association, APTA. And he basically said like four or five years ago, we need to change the role of a public transit agency in a city to not just be the provider of bus, light rail, subway, all that, but the aggregator of all these mobility services mm-hmm. in the city. And so the bikes, the scooters, the Ubers, the Lyfts, and now these new companies like Silver Ride and, and Userve, which are like Ubers for the elderly and disabled people, people with disabilities, pull them all together under one roof and outsource to them uh, where it makes sense, where we, it doesn't make sense to run a fixed route bus down this road because we're not getting, you know, 40 passengers an hour. So let's just not run it down that road. Let's instead let Uber, Lyft, or some of these other companies do that under contract with us. And so we're kind of entering that that uh, macroeconomic environment where we're pulling in more than just government-provided uh, service, but we're allowing the private sector in the tent, which I agree with you. I think it's a smart thing to do. That was Paul Comfort, host of the Transit Unplugged podcast, talking about where the public transit industry was headed prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and where he still sees his industry headed despite all of the disruption from the pandemic. That clip was part of a larger conversation with Paul and others about the new $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that was signed by President Biden in November. So how else does the new infrastructure bill impact mobility? Well, you're about to find out in this episode. From Autoburst Media, this is Autoconverse. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you today. Oh, well, I'm a Game of Thrones nut, so that's, that's, that's my jam. The robots are listening. The robots are listening. And welcome to another episode of the Autoconverse podcast, where we explore people, ideas, and technologies that influence how we are connected 
and the way we get around. I'm Ryan Girardi. Great to be here with you, as always. So there's a new COVID variant out in the town. Omicron, or Omicron, or Omicron, as I've even heard it pronounced, has entered the world stage as we head into the holidays and the final lap of the year. Now, this creates a frenzy for the mainstream narrative, and it puts people on alarm during a time that is already particularly stressful. And this might affect things like the supply chain and thus gas prices, groceries, presents, but it doesn't obscure our view of the many exciting technology developments that we see in the mobility tech and connectivity space and which we cover here on the podcast. One of those technologies in particular is blockchain and cryptocurrency. And in our next episode, we dedicate almost the entire edition to blockchain and cryptocurrency developments from 2021. But for this episode, we're going to actually go deeper into the infrastructure bill with a pointed look at the public transportation sector. So throughout this episode, you'll hear me play bits and pieces from my conversation, which included Paul and a few others from that discussion on the show as well. But before we get on all that, how about some industry headlines? So this came out a couple weeks ago. Facebook is shutting down its facial recognition system, as they say, uh, which automatically identifies users in photos and videos. And they're shutting it down, citing uh, concerns, societal concerns about the use of of such technology. Uh, Vice President Jerome Presenti says regulators are still in the process of providing a clear set of rules to govern its use. And amid this ongoing uncertainty, we believe that limiting the use of facial recognition to narrow to a narrow set of use cases is appropriate. So if I were to add my commentary, I would say I'd, I'd, uh, I would be rest assured they're still recognizing your face in photos and videos. They're probably just not crowdsourcing it and, and letting people tag you uh, automatically. Uh, but I wouldn't let that fool you to think that you're not being recognized when you're using Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and even WhatsApp as well. In other news, Verizon and Nissan have completed a proof of concept showing how sensor data and vehicles uh, surrounding infrastructure could be processed at the edge edge of Verizon's wireless network to help guide drivers in near real time. So what is the edge? Well, it's it's technically the multi-access edge layer, computing layer within the 5G, which you know is being rolled out. And what that edge does is it allows massive amounts of more information to be processed uh, much more efficiently than it, than it does now. I won't get into the semantics of it, um, but Nissan and Verizon are, are clearly testing these uh, new technologies out for that purpose. In EV news, GM is partnering uh, with EV Connect to offer dealerships charging management uh, nationwide. In fact, if I recall, the last month we reported that Toyota's building a U.S. battery plant as part of a $3.4 billion investment into electric vehicles. And this month, as I mentioned, EV charging solution provider EV Connect is now one of GM's approved partners for uh, uh, charging solutions at dealerships. And so far, more than 600 dealerships have already signed up to leverage EV Connect's charging solution. Uh, to help automakers uh, with their call for electrification. This whole episode 
is, is very heavily focused on electrification and partly because we're working on a series of editorials around this push and some of the rhetoric and uh, motivations behind it. Um, so that's why we're bringing this up. It's just tons of, of development going on related to electrification. Remember, GM just um, less than two months ago announced it'd be installing uh, up to 40,000 electric vehicle chargers across North America. And that's part of a $750 million investment into charging infrastructure that will help uh, uh, charging across the nation. In fact, the state of Michigan is is working to implement charging stations around the west coast of Lake Michigan. If you're a Great Lakes guy like I am, then uh, you'll know that's a there's a lot of just awesome tourist attractions and beaches along the west coast of Michigan, and uh, the state is putting together um, putting together a network of charging stations there as well. And then here's some news for you: uh, the t- the state of Tennessee has approved an eight hundred and eighty four million dollar incentive for Ford to build a blue oval city project in the Memphis region uh, on their regional mega site. So just lots of just really cool stuff going on. I was reading about this Echo Car Challenge, Eco Car Challenge, EV Challenge, the four-year uh, uh, challenge that's starting just this month. Yeah, I think it's starting starting just this month. And basically, they're accepting applications. It's mostly targeted for uh, universities with ABET accredited engineering programs. Teams will have four years to design and engineer a next generation battery electric vehicle that utilizes automation and vehicle to everything connectivity to implement energy efficient and customer appealing features. Teams will follow a real world vehicle development process to meet rigorous technical milestones throughout the program and compete head to head with other teams in annual competition trials. And then the final uh, competition will culminate in the summer of 2026. So pretty cool. And uh, hopefully we're still around to report on that. Um, and I should mention, head on over to ryandroidy.com. You'll see a link to my Medium site. And I uh, put an, an article out for you called Electric Batteries, Not Engines, Drive New Mobility in Autotech. And you get a nice good breakdown of the different battery technologies. Let me tell you, this is becoming a moving target, the way EV battery technologies are working. And coming up, um, possibly as early as next month, we'll be talking about hydrogen fuel cell technology as well. Hey dad, are you still looking for a car? Did you know that when you click on car ads, dealers pay for every click? But shouldn't you get paid? After all, you're the one clicking. That's why I use Ask Auto. With Ask Auto, you build rewards as you shop. Plus, Ask Auto recommends exclusive offers based on your needs. You can ask questions on cars you like and still protect your personal information. You can even set your price. Who knew car shopping could be so easy and rewarding? Ask Auto. Fast, fun, and rewarding car shopping. All right, well, let's get into this infrastructure, Bill. Here's Paul providing a general overview of what the infrastructure bill means, particularly from the public transportation sector. 
What's up, Paul? Hey, Ryan. How you doing, man? Great to see you here again. Thank you. Likewise. It's been a long couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I don't know it's if I was saying this backstage. Paul and I had met right before the pandemic, and he had this whole world tour planned for uh, for your podcast, uh, Transit Unplugged. And then the pandemic happened, and and uh, so the story goes. But here you are. How's that podcast doing these days? It's great. Transitunplugged.com. And wherever you get it, it's ranked number one in the world for transit uh, executive podcasts, heard in 100 countries now. And um, it's going great. We just did a, a big event. Uh, last month, or actually earlier this month, down at the American Public Transit Association, and where we had five of the most powerful women in transit on a on a live uh, roundtable with hundreds of people there. We had the whole TV studio set up, and the podcast. The big news, Ryan, is we're turning it into a TV show, kind of an wow. Anthony, yeah, like an Anthony Bourdain style TV show. Um, and I've already filmed the first three episodes. The first one's in Las Vegas. The next one was in Nashville, and the third one was this was this round table. So I encourage people to go there and visit and find out more to our website, transitunplugged.com. And there it is right there in your screen. Definitely check it out. Congratulations on the evolution of your podcast. And um, it's, that's, that's really cool to hear. Thanks, so let's get into things. We've got about 15 minutes here. Okay. And what I have on my screen somewhere. Okay. Got two things. I have seven ways the bill could change your future car. We're going to look at that. And then we have, I have a nice list here, folks. This is on our blog, autoconverse.com. I got it from Axios, as you can see right there. But it kind of gives you a breakdown of where all this money is going towards repair and infrastructure. Things that stood out for me are things like investment into climate resiliency and electric vehicles and, and buses. But I think for Paul, I think you what probably stood out for you are things like modernizing transit and whatnot. So yeah, give us... Maybe give us your uh, just give us your two cents on the bill and what it means for you and your and your network. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, my world is public transit, uh, and so the the infrastructure bill was big in the for the public transit world as well. Um, the bottom line is this infrastructure, this one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill, uh, included inside of it, subsumed in it, was the once every five years. Transit Reauthorization Act. Normally that gets passed separately on its own, but for some reason the Democrats decided to put it into this bill. And uh, so they had to do some extensions of it, but it finally passed. And the good news for our industry is, uh, is that it included uh, record amounts of funding for you know, $107 billion for public transit over the next five years. Basically, Ryan, what happened was during the peak of the pandemic, you know, when everything was shut down, um, the way people were getting to their jobs, uh, not the white collar jobs, right? Because everybody with white collar jobs could work at home like me. You know, we do it all from our computer. But the blue collar jobs, people that are actually what they were calling essential workers. I don't like that term because I think, you know, most work is essential, but you get hmm. the drift. People that worked at hospitals and ran the power plants and the water plants and all, they were riding public transit to get to their jobs. And so when they told everybody else, you can't ride, just if we still were at like 50% capacity. And so uh, I think the federal government finally realized, hey, you know, public transportation is no longer just a local city responsibility. It really is a federal priority because it's what keeps our cities and our economy rolling during, you know, during this uh, pandemic time. And it showed them that it's important. So the government stepped up in a big way. And basically, 
increased funding for our what they call the basic titles, you know, like we have a Section 5307, which is operating dollars that go to public transit agencies for big cities. Uh, that went up 43 percent. Massive increases in funding. And that's on top of three big uh, tranches of funding, which occurred uh, over during the pandemic, where they gave us billions and billions of other dollars during that time. And so the federal government stepped up in a big way for public transit. So we're happy. And I'm happy, too, because there was so much cool, great developments in public transit. I think it'd be obvious to point out Uber and Lyft uh, you know, as a great development, but there's so much more with autonomous vehicles, right. and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, smaller campuses and whatnot. Um, so I'm, ha- I'm happy for that. And I, I sense your excitement in there as well. Here, Paul is pointing out spending that is specific to low emission and no emission electric buses, and then hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, which is an important topic you're going to start hearing us covering more on the podcast. One of the good things that did come in, Ryan mentioned earlier about hydrogen, uh, there is um, an increase in funding for what they call the low or no uh, funding, which is low emission or no emission for buses. Um, And so, you know, the big trend, one of the hot trends uh, coming out of last year into this year is electric buses, right? Electric battery buses. Company like Proterra, New Flyer, Gillig are the big providers of buses that are electric here in the U.S. Uh, But in this bill, there was also a set aside for hydrogen vehicles. And that is the new hot. That really is the hottest trend, in my opinion, right now, um, like this month, November and October. I mean, I've been to a couple big trade shows for the first time. We've been able to have them in two years. And that's what everybody's talking about. So and there was money set aside just for that, for the development and the purchase of those vehicles. Uh, And so there is some money in there, like you said, for this new technology. Here's one of our panelists, Alexander Thole, expressing frustration about how so much money seems to be going into big business when small businesses could actually probably benefit even more. I, I have to uh, I have to lean towards Eric's um, side of things here. You know, I'm a big believer that history repeats itself in one way or another. And I don't know whether that's a belief I have because I own a small business and, and I have to continually look back to see where things are going. But, you know... I'm a big history buff when it comes to automotive and transportation. I just think back to all the electric trolleys that used to run the cities. I went to school in Philadelphia. I've been at San Francisco numerous times. And here we are, how many years later, and we're trying to get electric buses uh, and other types of transportation back into these cities. You know, I don't know. I I, I think I'm just a bit frustrated with the amount that's being spent on everything. And just all of the small businesses that I think um, could really benefit from some of this, I would love to see go to that. But you know, I, I think there's a lot of good to be had here. I'm just I'm curious to see how it all pans out. And Eric points out how the private sector innovates more efficiently. I, I still think there's some if you just look at like SpaceX and, and uh, Blue Origin, what they've been able to accomplish for a fraction of the investment, the government compared to what the government made to accomplish the same thing. It just seems like there's probably some right. I mean, it's like one tenth. It's it, it's, you know. And yet you still have politicians going, we want the government to do that. Why are these billionaires doing it? Because they do it for one tenth the cost. That's why. Yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. They run it like a company. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I know. They, they could find some private public cooperation there to say, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cover your cover your backs, I guess, from a, from a liability standpoint. But yeah, you know, put no, your you're right, Eric. It does the work, right? Yeah. So, 
in, in the public transit industry, that's actually, I think, you know, I'm a former CEO of the transit system in Baltimore um, mm-hmm. and, and did a bunch of work in Washington, D.C. as well. And I can tell you that one of the great things that's happened uh, in the public transit industry over the last five years is just what you're talking about, a movement to more cooperation with the private sector. So Uber and Lyft came in, you know, at the beginning of this uh, decade and really disrupted ridership, right? Because uh, what they call the choice riders, people that can afford to do other things than ride public transit said, hey, I'm not going to stand here and wait for 40 minutes in the rain for this bus. I'm just going to call her. So we saw a big rush of people go out of this, out of the traditional ridership. And, you know, I can tell you at the time I was in there in 2015, 16, everybody's freaking out saying, what are we going to do? You know, ridership's declining. And it's been, and, uh, and so really there was a guy named Nat Ford uh, who runs Jacksonville's transit system, who was head of our national association, APTA. And he basically said like four or five years ago, we need to change the role of a public transit agency in the city to not just be the provider of bus, light rail, subway, all that, but the aggregator of all these mobility services in the city. And so the bikes, the scooters, the Ubers, the lifts, and now these new companies like Silver Ride and, and Userve, which are like Ubers for the elderly and disabled people, people with disabilities, pull them all together under one roof and outsource to them. Uh, where it makes sense, where we it doesn't make sense to run a fixed route bus down this road because we're not getting, you know, 40 passengers an hour. So let's just not run it down that road. Let's instead let Uber, Lyft or some of these other companies do that under contract with us. And so we're kind of entering that that uh, macroeconomic environment where we're pulling in more than just government uh, provided service, but we're allowing the private sector in the tent, which I agree with you. I think it's a smart thing to do. And here's Eric justifying what Paul was saying when he needed an Uber to go from one terminal to the next within the same airport, because that was faster. The story along those lines, I was at LaGuardia not too long ago, and I actually took an Uber from one terminal to the other because it got me there in half the time waiting on and taking the bus would have, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I agree with everything that we're we're conversing about here. To me, you know, I, I can just see I mean, we talk about job creation through public transportation, but sometimes I have to think to myself, if you had put that money into the existing infrastructure that Uber and Lyft have created, which, mind you, started out as small businesses who had to raise external capital, um, and you put that money to them, not only could you potentially allow new people to afford cars that could use that rideshare to earn a living, uh, more than just the one or two bus drivers that run a single route in a city, that that's really where my head is at. You know, I, I think you guys might have overheard. We're in a, a very new space in terms of technology with additive, and we, we are constantly having to ask ourselves, well, what is coming down the pike? How can we stay ahead of this curve? Because everything is just moving so quickly, and I still feel like we're just trying to put so much money and effort into something that it just is no more. I mean, we have moved past horses and carriages for a reason, and yet we're still dumping thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into it. Um, I I help restore historic rail cars uh, on the weekends and we run them on Amtrak's line. And the amount of money that it takes to run a single historic car on Amtrak's line is unreal. And we were going up to Albany last week from Penn Station and the six cars that we were behind, there was maybe 50 people that had gotten off at Albany. And I was just beside myself with the amount of money that it takes to run this engine all the way up there, all these cars, all the employees, and yet 50 people get off on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know what, I don't know. I, you know, you just have to ask yourself, what is coming down the pike? Is it, is it going to continue to be this way? And I just don't think it is. So, so Ryan and I have talked about this before, but what's coming down the pike is anything that is 
reduces the lowers the resistance on the path of least resistance. In other words, consumers will always seek the path of least resistance. So to your point, you know, I'm in the car business because they're less, they're more convenient than horses, you know, <laughs> et cetera. Right. Buses were more convenient for a while. And, and so yes. I, I think it, it, consumers will always seek that path of least resistance. It's just yep. eight and it's understanding, you know, where those investments should be made to accelerate that adoption. And mind you, SpaceX and Tesla, they all started as small businesses, Elon and PayPal. I mean, they all start somewhere and yet we're focusing on the ones that are already enormous to your point, Eric, it's like, you got to help the little guys to help get them to the big guys that can then really help the infrastructure in my eyes. At least that's the way I think it should be. But what do I know? <laughs> well, I, I think you, I, you seem to know quite a lot on the subject. That's awesome. <laughs> And finally, to wrap things up, we have seven ways that the infrastructure bill could change the future car. I, I look through here. It's all pretty much safety related. What I'm curious, guys, is, you know, your comments on them. Are, do you already have some of these features in your cars now? Like there, I like this one, stopping DUIs before they happen. So right. the whole idea here is that the bill, if you want to get funding as a car maker, you're going to have to, you know, implement a mechanism that that prohibits that. I can't think of any reason not to do that. Can you guys? Any opposition to something like that? Other than maybe costs? It just seems like the marketplace yeah. would respond to that on its own yeah. without the government getting involved in the requirement. But well, we don't have it now. <laughs> I mean, I don't think as far as I know, there's nothing. Well, built here in New vehicles. Jersey, if you have a DUI and you go to get your license reinstated, they have to install a device in your car that you have to breathe into to start the to start the engine. And and once it gives it the OK, you can turn the ignition on. So um, if that's what they're going to put into every car, I think there may be some opposition. So I'm curious to see how AI will you know continue to take over and see how. Our driving habits are changing. What what there will be is a company who invents the defeat of that, the tech that overcomes it and sells it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Path of least resistance for the you know. Yeah. yeah. How about this adaptive driving beam headlights? I never knew that that wasn't they weren't permitted in the United States. Yeah, they're everywhere else. Yeah. What, Tucker came out with this in what 1930 what something the center head beam would turn with the steering wheel. I mean, talk about history repeating itself. <laughs> and how many years That's later we're Lexus now making had that for a while here. Yeah, <laughs> Lexus in 1990 had it. Mm-hmm. Well, what this does for me is like, why was this not a why was this not either is it not permitted in the United States or it just wasn't? My understanding is it not permitted, but I, I don't know that definitively. And why I have no idea. Yeah, Probably but now now it could be standard. <laughs> now it could start to be start yeah. to be standard. Um, I like this one. Rear seat reminder. Too many uh, pets and children being left in cars. Again, these are government uh, regulations being uh, mandated, if you will, to automakers to get to get the funding, or whether or not to get funding, just to be able to put cars on the street. I solved that problem by getting rid of the rear seats. Get a, get a roadster. Just get yeah, a roadster. Get a <laughs> um, this one's funny. Stop, drop, and don't roll. I guess um, 
I guess uh, cars that just got away with no man driver killed 142 people, injured 2,000. Oh, in 2015, not not last year. A lot of the new cars, 2019 and up, if you are in drive and your door opens, it immediately slams it into park. So, I, it's it's incredible. But I'm going to start to see that you'll you'll start to see this. Become. I like that. I can actually say there was one time recently in recent memory, I think I tried to get out of the car while it was still in drive. <laughs> going to slow down the drive through. I was going to add this, Paul, you might want to comment on this. Let me uh, bring this back here. I was thinking that as cars get more autonomous um, and I, th- and I, th- I think the makeup, the design and the experience of cars are, they're just going to continue to get more and more similar. Meaning that yes. our attachment to the differences between brands is, is getting less and less, which kind of makes me think of public transit, Paul, in the sense that in our lifetime, within the next 15 years, we're probably not, not going to have to man the car. We're just going to get into the cars, and they're going to be run by, you know, by, by uh, the autonomy and connectivity you know, in the road system. Doesn't yeah. that kind of fall into public transportation at, at that point? <laughs> it does. It feels very much like it, doesn't it? When they talk to each other. I mean, that's what's uh, I just was talking with Nadine Lee, who's the CEO of Dallas's transit system, DART. She's been there about four months. She was on this panel we did and she was saying that's what one of the things that excites her is, you know, for the safety aspects of it, the vehicles talking to one another, uh, you know, one of the big benefits of autonomous vehicles uh you know nobody likes the big brother aspect of it i don't think uh but one of the benefits of it is they are safer in the long run they're much safer and they don't because they talk to each other and they identify the hazards and autonomous buses are the same way the next train is likely a a daisy chain of cars right uh, and the railroad tracks are the road and and at that point you know alex the earlier question that's when the efficiency of the trains come back is when they're no longer trains but cars. it's cars. a train of cars yeah it's a train of buses actually yeah right? exactly and you just hook on the number of buses demand has at that given moment right they just sync up you know you're are you suggesting you see cars being on tracks no no i see i see buses so let's say you you, you have demand for one bus and it's demands going up another bus just syncs itself with the first bus and they use the road as they do today, but that's that's the new train track, right? I see. And then a third bus. And so bus, basically the buses become intelligent train cars because one of the inefficiencies of the train is it's really, really costly to unhook the train, right? To go from two to three to four to five and do that every time you have a stop. You can't do it. But with autonomous vehicles, they could predict that demand and, you know, literally with sensors in the just car. accordingly, you know, yeah. And just yeah. – just, constantly be adjusting their capacity as they go down the road yeah they're they're almost there now eric with the uh, you know transit systems now have gps on the roof you can see where they're at but they also have um analysis of who's in the vehicle so they tell you by looking at your phone is this bus coming up already full do i need to come out of my office and walk down there to find a full bus that's the kind of stuff that is already in place all over the country so yeah we're getting there I saw some new things too. I think is Audi has these smart sensors for the traffic lights, and it controls right. the speed of the car, so you know you always get a green light. 
That's right. That's we had, we had too, right? Great. I got to sit behind go, someone going two miles an hour yeah. up to a stoplight just when I want. <laughs> Traffic signal priority, they call that for buses. Oh. Yeah, it lets them through. So there's all kinds of things happening. It's an exciting time, I think, in the whole uh, area of mobility. And so uh, great, great show, Ryan. Yeah, uh, it really is an exciting time. In the mobility business, too. So that was a nice time <laughs> together, Ryan. I got to thinking while you were talking about the buses, you know, like coming on demand when as as volume warranted, I was like, you know, by that time, they'll just be able to print them in 3D on demand and put them out on the road, you know, bada boom, bada bing. Or what you have just a daisy chain of pods, right, where everybody has their own unique pod, right? And they just, because there's no reason. Jetsons. Right. There you yeah. go. Just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When when robots are are driving our cars, it'll be cool in the sense like like mm-hmm. we we're saying you're at a stoplight, right? And then the guy in front of you waits for the car in front of him to go mm-hmm. halfway through the intersection before he starts. The next thing, only four cars get through when really ten should have. Like that level of inefficiency is you know that's where we need technology. Get but those you- cars moving safely and efficiently what were you going to say yeah i was just going to say you have to get through that point to get to the efficiency side of things where they've learned okay i can actually get 10 cars through to uh you know make this work but anyway yeah yeah all about uh, efficiency i think unfortunately the atolls will probably be i I think you're going to see drone taxis leapfrog over a lot of this here's a comment from jim on the live feed about gm uh breaking revenue from vehicle as a platform. And I think what he's referring to is all the, the metrics and the, the, the analytics that come out of our driving behavior is a, is a value to different companies. And hopefully it becomes a form of currency for us. We're seeing it now, like with insurance, you get a discount if you share, you know, if you share your, your driving patterns, you get discounts. So thanks Jim for that comment. You earn Amazon rewards. There we go. That's your next <laughs> level, Eric. Yeah. Shopping in the car. Yeah, yeah get rewarded. Be our next form of taxation, right? Yeah, it'll be. They've already talked about it, right? Right. By yeah. mile. Yeah, when you don't buy gasoline anymore, that gas tax goes away, right? Exactly. So they'll yeah. start taxing us by the mile driven at that point. Yeah, like truckers, you know, they got fees based on their weight and their distance and what road they're on and all that good stuff. Guys, so great having you here. Thanks for, uh, you know, chiming in, Alex. You know, first time Thanks up for here. Having me. Love that you had so much input. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Paul, great to see you. As Eric, always. always a pleasure as well. So we'll let you guys go, and I'll go ahead and wrap up the show for you. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye, man. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this episode. That was Paul Comfort again from the Transit Unplugged podcast. You also heard Eric Brown from Ask Auto, one of our sponsors, and Alexander Thole from Dive Design. You're going to hear more about my conversation with him about prosthetics for pet mobility that his company makes in an upcoming episode early next year. All these clips come from our live show, from our live show held once a month. And if you'd like to take part in that experience, it's easy. Get out your phone, text the keyword AutoConverse to 855-766-7585. We'll send you a link to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we'll also send you a link to register with the show so you can gain insider access and keep yourself in the loop around the live show. I am Ryan Girardi, wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
Now, before I go, this is probably going to be the last time you hear me say this. If you are a Doge, a Doge hodler, well, then to the moon. I'm a little concerned that the days of Doge might have really come to an end. But be sure to tune into our next episode, where again, we'll be covering many of the significant technology developments in blockchain and cryptocurrency as it pertains to mobility tech and connectivity. Enjoy the holidays, and we'll see you soon. This is Audiburst Media.